Hello, folks. My name is Spencer George, and you're listening to The Good Folk Podcast. I'm reporting live to you from the state of North Carolina, and specifically from the campus at the University of North Carolina, where I'm a graduate student in folklore. At UNC, I investigate the role that folklore can play in a world and region that teeters on constant collapse. How can storytelling methodologies and communal practice bring us together against all the odds? How can we find common ground in one of the most complicated and contested regions in the world? Do we attempt to love the places we are from, or do we learn to find comfort and freedom in abandoning them completely? Most simply, I describe all of this as folklore futurisms, using the field to stare down the dark unknowns of the future and attempt to find a path to them, no matter how tangled and intertwined it may be. This, I believe, is also the role of many community activists across the South today. It is exhausting work to be an activist, and especially here in the South, where so often it feels the places you live reject the work you attempt to do. I work these days largely in rural activism and climate change awareness, but those are only two branches of a very large tree. You might notice that this podcast is dropping into your inbox on Friday, instead of our usual day of Wednesday. Let me provide some context. We had every intention of getting this to you on Wednesday, but then walking back to my house in the middle of the day, police cars sped past me on the road, rushing towards campus. And a few minutes later, I received a now familiar text alert from the university. Emergency, armed dangerous person on or near campus, go inside now, avoid windows. Just two weeks earlier, UNC students received the same message during what turned out to be a fatal shooting in one of the science labs on campus. On Tuesday of this week, UNC students were thrown out of the legislative building in Raleigh after they gathered to protest the GOP leniency on gun laws, laughed at by lawmakers as they exited. It feels impossible sometimes to be an activist here. It is exhausting. It asks so much of you and it takes and takes and takes and yet, we are still here believing in change. The South is the ground of fertile resistance, and it has been the birthplace of some of the largest activist and labor movements in history. Those aren't the stories we get in the media, which focus on repression and denial. But if we're willing to look around and pay attention, we will see there's a very different story happening all around us. One led by the activists, community leaders, and believers of change who are willing to show up day after day in the hopes of something better for all of us. Lauren Mathers is one of those individuals, and I'm honored to be joined by her on the podcast today. Lauren, she, her, hers, is the executive director of Sandhills Pride, the LGBTQ support and advocacy nonprofit based in Moore County, North Carolina. She has spent her entire career in the nonprofit sector, first in dance and theater in Chicago, New York, the Berkshires, and Florida, and later with the Girl Scouts of Southeast Florida, and now with Sandhills Pride since January of 2022. Lauren received her degree from Southern Illinois University, where she studied art, film, photography, and bookbinding, and she continues to pursue her artistic interest for relaxation and personal enjoyment. I am tired. I am grateful. I am inspired by individuals like Lauren, who remind me that we must keep showing up and we must keep believing. Despite it all, I still believe. I hope you enjoy this conversation. For some reason, that's an effect that if I don't turn it off, it just wants everyone it to just, 
Sounds I'll like be easy. with it. All right, then. Um, yes. Okay. Let's chat. Let's do it. Um, I actually wanted to start here because we have our amazing podcast producer, Vic, who is from Moore County, who's grown up in Moore County. And Lauren, we'll have your whole bio at the beginning, so people will be already familiar a little bit with your work. But, you know, both of you work very heavily in queer communities in Moore County. Um, I am also a queer person, but I only lived in Moore County for a year, so I'm perhaps maybe not the best person to to speak to Moore County. So I wanted to turn it over to Vic a little bit if you wanted to talk while we have you here about your experience growing up in Moore County and what this landscape has been like for you before we kind of get into what Lauren does and, and the incredible work of Sand Hills Pride. Yeah. Um, so I lived in Moore County for about 20 years now. Um, and I would say my, I have a Italian Catholic background. So being queer in that space and especially being uh, queer in the South, so I was figuring myself out, um, was very daunting and scary and it felt very wrong. Um, and then I like to think that a lot of young like gay babies if you will gravitate towards each other before they realize you know who they are i think my entire friend group that i made in high school were all queer in one way or the other um so it was kind of like that natural navigation and comfort of where we all kind of like slowly came out to each other i remember my best friend's 18th no not 18th 16th birthday and um we were walking into an italian restaurant and like after like you know really praying about like the gay away or whatever and I was like I think I like girls and I blurted it into this parking lot to like this little local Italian restaurant and then my friend next to me went I also like girls and I said do you and she was like yeah and then the the birthday girl she was like I think I also like so we all came out to each other in a parking lot kind of on this woman thing and it was like one of my favorite memories of all of us but it felt so daunting and scary because there wasn't any local representation in the area like the only time i saw representation of queer people was um like the kill your gay tropes it was in like brokeback mountain um was kind of i remember all three of us um watching that mountain i was like am i am i destined for this just like a sad cowboy story is that like all i'm really meant for um so that that's what my my experience was just like coming out and just kind of like the dauntingness of it all and just the unsure um especially like in Moore County um like I, there wasn't you know pride flags hanging in the windows or they weren't like stickers of like this is a safe space my therapist um I went to therapy in a church and um you know when I was struggling with all this I I came out to him and then like unbeknownst to me I kind of went through essentially what was like a really one-on-one -on -one version of like, I guess, conversion therapy is the closest I could really get to it or explain to it. Um, and then I was really excited, just all these confusing emotions and like, you know, questioning my representation and like what I was meant for as like a queer person in the South and in Moore County. I was very excited to leave for college, left for college, was great. Um, you know, met like a lot of queer people and like really found myself and like, oh, there's more to this than, you know, I realized came back home um, to Moore County and it was like those four years of living away from home like really exploded I feel like um, where I came back home and there was like a couple queer flags or like pride flags and like a um, a business window and I was like what this is crazy I never thought that would happen here in like little small town nothing America um, and then 
past couple of years, I started volunteering places, and that's how I um, ended up running into Sandhills Pride. And um, my best friend that also came out in the parking lot to me during that uh, my friend's 16th birthday, um, we were at like a winery, and we saw like a little like uh, uh, info flyer about a Sandhills Pride Pride Month in Moore County, and we we're like, oh my gosh, we have to go! Like this might be like the first and last, like depending how it goes, like we have to be a part of this. Um, and that's how I met Lauren. And ever since then, it's just been every week I feel like I go out and I see like an addition of, you know, safe space like stickers or just more queer, pe- queer people unapologetically existing in Moore County where I never thought I would see that growing up. Um, so that's like a really fast and dirty version (laughs) of my experience (laughs) yeah Vic thank you for sharing that and Lauren I obviously want to pass it over to you here but it seems to me so strongly and I and I think a great point that I have to also make is that when I lived in Moore County that was also my first experience really having I went to women's college but that was my first experience really having a queer friend group and and finding your people in a place that you wouldn't necessarily expect to. And it seems to me one of the sentiments here is, you know, Sandhills Pride was there always, but all of these things often are hiding in plain sight in ways that you have communities and you have organizations doing that work. And it's sometimes hard to bridge that connection. I felt that so deeply with kind of organizing around the rural South and finding arts communities of, I never thought there were artists here. And of course there were, and they always have been here. And I think it it's the same story for queer people in the South of, you know, we have the largest population here and, and we've always been here and we were long here. But Lauren, I would love to turn it over to you to think about kind of what brought you to Moore County and your experience working with Sandhills Pride. And like Vic has said, this place has changed and it is changing at all times. And I'd love to hear a little bit of your reflection, I think, on how it has changed in the time that you've been working here. Um, thanks, Spencer. And Vic, I have to say your story is not unfamiliar. Um, both from kids in Moore County and, and people everywhere. Um, how did I come to Moore County? I have always known that I was part of the queer community or at least queer adjacent, but as a young person, and I'm a bit older than both of you, so um, I started doing my exploring in the 70s. And I one of the things I knew was that I definitely wanted to be a parent. I wanted to be a mother specifically, and I wanted to try to do that the old-fashioned way. Um, and I, being at the time identifying as bi, didn't really see in the queer community that I experienced. I was living in New York in the mid to late 70s, and this was about the time I was doing this exploration. Um, I also went to an all-women's college in North Shore, Chicago, and that was my first experience, actually, of being with women and going, oh, this is something I think I am like. Um, and, and, of course, also having come from the Midwest, I um, was raised in a pretty conservative um background, church background. And that was, of course, not a a thing that I could even quite fathom. So I had these different pulls in my being and wanting to explore my world. But I made the choice to marry a very wonderful man. And we had a fabulous child uh, who is, in fact, trans non-binary themselves and is an educator at the university level in gender and sexuality. Very proud of them. And they guide a lot of the work that I do. Their, their experience has been, um, has informed many of my decisions and paths. So that's part of that. But fast forward, I, I raised the child, had a wonderful life, created a fabulous family, but never quite felt like I was living my true self. We got into COVID and we know that COVID really brought out all kinds of things in people. And one of the things it brought out was people being 
alone with themselves for extended periods of time. And that experience, I think, led many people to look inward, many people to look outward and try to find meaning and answers. And that occurred to me, that happened to me as well. Um, I had always been what I would say gay adjacent. So I worked in theater. I supported the comprehensive AIDS program in Florida, did a lot of fundraising work. My father uh, came out to me as gay much later in life and unfortunately later died early because of not being able to come out in his world at the time. Um, so all of these things informed who I was and I'm sitting in this space and one of the dear people that I that helped me be present in the gay world to the extent that I felt I could died very suddenly from COVID. And so one of my links that I felt I had to being able to sort of semi kind of express this part of me disappeared suddenly in the middle of this pandemic that nobody knew what the hell to think about or what to feel and all these experiences were coming up. At the same time that same year, very shortly after that, I celebrated the same birthday that my father, the age that my father was when he passed. So this brought up all kinds of stuff and I, as many people did, had a bit of a emotional, mental revelation breakdown, however you want to look at it, but I knew that I needed to investigate myself and my being more fully and did so got therapy highly highly recommend mental health care just going to put that in there right now um it's really vital to anyone on any path but particularly i think on people in our community that are going through a path of trying to figure themselves out so i had a wonderful person who is still with me and they helped guide me and i realized i needed to be authentic and long story short i changed everything in my life my fabulous uh, spouse at the time supported me wholly and is still one of my dearest friends and greatest allies. And um, I made the decision to leave my job, leave my life, leave my world, and leave basically everything I knew in Florida, where I was living at the time. And I had friends and family in the Triangle area and chose North Carolina as the place to land. Through a series of meeting people and traveling about to try to get to know the area, I wandered into Southern Pines and I fell in love with just the feel and look of the town because it reminded me of a place I had lived when my child was quite young in the Berkshires in Massachusetts. And I always liked that living right downtown in a small town feeling. But I experienced the same thing Vic did. I was walking all over the place in downtown and I could not find any representation of my tribe. And this kind of concerned me because <laughs> I'm like, okay, well, I know I'm here and statistically I know that I'm not the only one here, but where are we? Came around a corner, went into Pennsylvania um, Plaza, downtown Belvedere Plaza there in uh, Southern Pines. I found this tiny little rainbow sticker in the window of what was at the time the lead mine. And I walked in and I went, oh my God, here we are. They're here. They're here. And I walk in and there's a new bartender. I, mean, I was truly that excited inside. I don't hope I didn't quite express it that way when I walked in this poor guy. But I walked in, there's a bartender there. And I said, um, I saw your sticker in the window and I wondered if you were queer friendly. And his response was just hysterical and also kind of sad. He said, oh, you just missed them. They were here last week. And I, and I didn't quite know what to think of that. But what, what he meant was, oh, the Sandhills Pride had just done their first drag performance in the plaza the weekend before in celebration of Pride Month. And it had been quite popular and the lead mine had been a sponsor. And so I was like, that, oh, okay, so there are people here and I can be safe. And 
through a series of reaching out to Sandhills Pride and going over to Starworks, who's a great supporter, and seeing a big Pride flight hanging on their pole, and then walking in and seeing a sign that said that 10% of sales of rainbow merchandise would go to support Sandhills Pride. I said, oh, who are these Sandhills Pride people? And I finally found an email, got a hold of them, became involved, started volunteering, and later um, submitted an application to become executive director and am now that person. Um, but I've only been in this county for two years. So I can't really speak too much to how things have changed um, because I don't have a reference to how they work. But I can speak to the experiences of people who have lived here and people like Vic who have come back. And what I've come to understand is that although there has been a queer community in Sandhills Pride in this area for quite a long time, and we're coming up on our 10th anniversary in 2025 of being you know, incorporated as a 501c3 nonprofit. So we've been around, but the programs were smaller and didn't have quite as an extensive reach. And as those, just as they were starting to grow, COVID hit and knocked a lot of things out. So when I came in, it was, Sandhills Pride was really just getting their feet back under them in terms of getting things going and heading programming and doing services for youth and for women's groups and men's group and having trans non-binary discussions and being able to do public events with different businesses that are supportive and affirming and open and we feel safe. And that's, I think, one of the most important things that my 18 months here has shown me is that there is always and will continue to be a very big need for creating safe spaces where folks can just get together and be. And that is often a challenge because as Vic and you have both um, experienced, we're not welcome everywhere in the South, even though we're a huge percentage of the population um, and represent one of the largest percentages of, you know, saturation of queer people are in the South. Um, we're very quiet. And I think that's because of concerns for safety, primarily. You know, we just want to kind of live our lives like everyone else. But sometimes we're not allowed. And there are situations that become unsafe. Or you, like Vic, had no support, couldn't really find a way to navigate the questions. Um, so my goal really being here is to just provide help you know, in the simplest possible terms. And help can mean so many different things. Um, from where's a friendly barber, that's one I got recently, to um, a favorite that I received by email as I'm coming to visit my parents in the Sandhills, Pinehurst, wherever. Where, where's a gay bar? And I just have to laugh for things because we know there's not a gay bar here. We make them. We create the space we need because it's not just here. Um, it was really exciting to me personally because my girlfriend and I went up to Raleigh and we just walked right into a gay bar and it said in big pink neon over the door, queer bar. And we just stood outside of there and looked up at it and went, ah, oh, look at that right there out in public, queer bar in pink neon. And there's this feeling of lightness that occurs when you find a space and you see representation of who you are in the world around you. And so I think that's the absolute biggest goal 
personally and as I try to, you know, help this organization move forward in this community is to just find as many of those places as possible and make them as apparent and visible as possible. There's safety in numbers. We've been saying it for years. It's an old saying we throw out, but there's truth. If we support each other more, we can be ourselves more. That's beautiful, Lauren. I'm just thinking so deeply on everything you've said. I always say on this podcast that organizing is in so many ways its own art form. And I think the intersection of this podcast, it's it's really an organizing project first and foremost, which is saying we want to create the space for people to be themselves and to find themselves and to do that in community. Because as all of us are saying, you know, we went through this journey largely alone. And that that is a very different thing than being able to go through and experience and and have a community and to enter into the world and know that there are people by your side. And so creating and opening up those spaces is probably one of the greatest tasks that I think any of us doing arts or organizing work face in the South. And I'm biased in that I think the arts are one of the best spaces to do it. So I'm really happy to hear you mention Starworks, which is an organization that I'm a huge fan of. I think they just do incredible work for anyone who doesn't know. They're an organization that does a lot of rural arts organizing, but similar in a lot of ways to what we do of bringing artists together. But you know, we are a primarily arts podcast. I think people might be wondering, well, how does this play in into the arts world? And to me, I approach it where anytime you're creating a space and organizing around that, it is absolutely an art form. And I think we should be approaching organizing as its own art form and, and as something we need to practice and curate and learn because organizers are artists in every way. And to hear the way you're making spaces and, and to see, I, I moved out of Moore County two years ago a little over two years and to see the way it has changed even just in the last two years is I think in no small part probably directly related to people coming back such as Vic and choosing to to make this home but also to the work that you do with Sand Hills Pride and letting people know that you don't have to hide in plain sight anymore right like you can be out in plain sight and that's it's a it's a small distinction but it's a huge one. Thank you. Um, I, I, addressing the arts, I, I absolutely agree. I think that arts, I mean, I spent 40 years in theater and dance administration and organizing. You know, organizing is my passion. I, people are, think I'm a little cuckoo about it, but you tell me where you are and you tell me where you want to get and I will organize the hell out of that for you and get you there because systems is how my brain thinks. You know, logical steps. How do we break this down into manageable portions? And that's really what managing and helping direct Sandhills Pride is about. I mean, if I tried to look at this project as a whole, I would, I would never get up in the morning. It's a lot. But we break it down, and I have the amazing support. I have to really put this in here, y'all. I have amazing support from volunteers. I mean, there is no way one human being can do the work that this organization does. And I'm rather proud to say that we do it really well because Many people think we have a staff. I love it when I get the emails that say, could you please ask one of your staff members? And I look around the room at myself in my living room and go, yeah, could one of y'all get to that? Um, Because small organizations like this, small organizations like Good Folk, what y'all are trying to do, it always starts at a grassroots level with some people sitting around and having an idea. And that's how Sandhills Pride started. People sitting around having a conversation. I wasn't here, but this is this is the organizational history I have. Getting really angry about the and you know the bathroom bill and the things that were going on in North Carolina, and then marriage equality became a big topic. And they organized around these rights for the LGBTQ community. 
That's how Santos Pride started. When I came here, having gone through the experience of having a kid and myself, you know, feeling really kind of lost in youth about how, and I didn't, you know, this didn't come out until much later in both of our lives, but I, I know that the most vulnerable populations need the first help. I mean, that's just logical, you know? So when I came in, I looked at what was I could see, which wasn't a lot, and said, let's start with our most vulnerable populations, which was our youth. Because, you know, you know how it feels to not have support. And I was running into both kids and parents who needed help with how to navigate what they were experiencing. And we've come to understand since I was a youth that the spectrum of gender identity and gender expression and gender uh, and sexual orientation is huge and wide and is includes such a big spectrum that we can't we can't stay in a small lane anymore. We have to expand what we do to embrace our full community. So that's the goal around that. And arts is the way that we can reach so many people. I mean, one of the major things that we looked at when we did Pride Fest this year is having a queer art tent because we know from a kid experience that we have with our youth that the space of creating art is a space that brings calm, that brings clarity. I have kids that can talk when they're coloring, but they can't necessarily be able to address and speak if they're just sitting there. So having a creative outlet, having a way to use creativity, use hands-on art uh, projects to open up space for conversation is vitally important. I mean, there's a reason there's a field called art therapy, you know, and music therapy. So we include the arts majorly, and we, and we partner with arts organizations because I also find that within the arts, there is a bit more expansion and willingness to collaborate than in some other settings. And so it's in those settings that I've always found my more creative thinkers, the more progressive thinkers, the more the people who are more willing to help push the boundaries and to come together in support of an idea. So I think the arts are vitally important. And I spent the first two thirds of my professional life working specifically in the arts because I loved it so much. And I found so many wonderfully warm, loving, supportive people in that environment who wanted to work together. So bringing that concept and that way of working into an organization like Sandhills Pride is integral to our success, I think, making that space for everybody. You know, we work with organizations like the Sunrise and Weymouth, which are major arts communities in this county. And by partnering with these beautiful institutions that have already established themselves here and are already beloved and are supportive of our mission and what we're trying to do, we create such a stronger foundation so that people can see themselves here and can feel safe to be out and can know that it's not just three or four people, but it's a whole group of folks, a much wider community that is really present. And that came out so much last December when we came under attack for doing a drag show downtown because suddenly there was a really moment that happened where people decided to stand up and say something that I think maybe 
prior to that, because there hadn't been this level of conflict so publicly displayed, had maybe not been willing to speak up. And as difficult as it was, and let me tell you what, that was one of the most difficult things I've gone through in my life, both emotionally, um, physically, you know, having a fear of being hurt, harmed, is, is not something we like to live with. I think we all do to some level, but that was very pointed. You know, I'd walked up on that stage, I, I told someone later that I actually had that moment where I realized, wow, doing this work could actually get me killed. Because it's only just a couple weeks before that Colorado Springs had happened. And I was sitting here looking at this incredible sea of happy, joyous, just amazing faces of people who'd gone through a lot to get into that building and to share that space. And realized that these are the moments, in those moments of the highest joy, that sometimes our greatest tragedy also happens. But because of some of those moments, as difficult as they are, and thankfully there was no harm, nobody got hurt, everybody stayed safe through the diligence of many people, including our fabulous friends at the Sunrise and our sponsors. Um, But it's in those moments that people stand up. You know, that voices are finally found. And I think that's what we've seen happen in Moore County, is that some of the divisiveness that we have been actually so afraid of and that kept us in the shadows for so long is actually the trigger that spurred this growth of acceptance and embracing the community and trying to find more ways to support it and to create more diversity in our area. So, you know, as hard as that is, as hard as those moments are to experience and to, to see the, the pain and the harm that can be done through some of the things that happen, it's also those same things that trigger the responses that support and that create the next steps of growth. So as long as there's the opportunity to educate, you can create understanding. And if you can create understanding, then your next step is acceptance. And it's not that far from acceptance to peace. It's just not. So every single step we take, every person we talk to is a drop of water in that big pond. And those go out and eventually, my job won't be necessary anymore. And I would love to think that that's gonna happen before the end of my lifetime on this planet. I doubt it, but that's ultimately my goal. I shouldn't be necessary. Sandhill's pride shouldn't be needed. The understanding that everybody's the same and equality is what it is, and everybody gets to live their life, that should just be a given. And that's what I work for. That's why I get up every morning. So that I can be out of a job. <laughs> I think it's the, I work in the nonprofit world and, and have for, gosh, I guess like the last 10 years. And I think it really is the end goal of every nonprofit should be do not exist. But I mean, then you have the nonprofit industrial complex. It's a much larger thing than that. But I, I completely agree. There are so many things in what you've said that I want to respond to. But I, of course, wanted to talk about the December attacks. And I, I think I would love to dial back to that a little bit in that it was a really interesting experience for me going through that. Having lived in Moore County, I lived right downtown Southern Pines, just a few blocks um, from the Sunrise Theater. Vic and I recorded a whole podcast episode doing some kind of live coverage and talking about this whole experience. But I was living in Durham at the time that everything happened. And Durham is, for anyone who doesn't know, Durham is very much uh, a very artsy, very queer city. Um, very left-leaning, and it was really interesting to see the response that was coming out in Durham 
and the stereotyping of rural places. And I was digging into Scott Herring's work this morning, who is a professor in the Yale American Studies Department, who works in rural queerness and talks a lot about the concept of metronormativity. And, and one of my favorite things, he opens his book, um, Queer Anti-Urbanism, with the line, I hate New York, <laughs> and this pressure. And I, I, I used to, I wrote a whole thesis about it in college. I, I really recommend his work, and I will link to it here. But it's this idea that if you are a queer person, that what you should want is to get to a place like Durham or to get to a place like New York City, to get to San Francisco, right? That those are not only spaces of safety, but those are also spaces of community. And I think it puts a very unique pressure on anyone who's in a rural place to say, well, my community isn't here. Of Regardless of whether or not I'm a city person, if I want to find my community, I have to go elsewhere. And um, I mean, metronormativity, that's where it comes in, I think. I would love to talk about things like Queer Eye and the way in which we have these kind of quote unquote very urban, very sophisticated queer folks coming in to largely rural spaces and saying, if you can't get to the city, let me bring the city to you. Because in so many ways now to become, to be queer has also become synonymous with being like a very urban, young, hip city person. And that is obviously a huge stereotype and not true at all. But I think the response to what happened in Moore County felt so deeply rooted in metronormativity to me that a lot of people were like, well, if you come to Durham, we have drag shows all the time. And it's like, well, that's great. That's awesome. But not everyone wants to have to come to Durham, right? And that's just the closest city. It, it extends much larger than that, um, especially when you look at it regionally. But I would love to hear the ways in which metronormity, metronormativity as a concept and this kind of pressure to, to leave a place in order to find community has played out in the work you've done with Sandhills Pride. And I think we talk about it so much on this podcast. I think it, it is the core of why I wanted to do this work is because I don't think you have to leave the spaces that raised you in order to f- figure out who you are and find community. But there is such a huge pressure around that, especially to young queer people. And having been a middle school teacher in the arts, Vic and I both can speak to this as well, Of it is just so, so prevalent. And it's why it, I, I think, is, again, so amazing to see organizations like Sandhills Pride who are saying, actually, you know, that community is here. And it doesn't mean you have to stay. It doesn't mean you have an obligation, but you can still find that community for as long as you may be here, which I think is is of just paramount importance. I would definitely agree. Um, but I also understand the feeling that kids growing up in a space where they've had no other options feel to get out and check out the rest of the world. I mean, I grew up in Indianapolis and it was, you know, a Midwestern medium sized, pretty decent sized, you know, city mostly conservative, very Midwestern. Um, and I needed to get out. I mean, I just need to get out because it's where I'd been my whole life and I needed to experience something different. And I think that that is a very natural process that kids go through and should be accommodated to the best of whatever family's ability because exploration and understanding different cultures is how we get along. You know, so I, as a kid, moved to Chicago, moved to New York. I've lived in both for extended periods of time, loved the cities when I lived with them. But I also feel that there's an energy and vibe in the city that just after a period of time wore me out. Just literally the vibration constantly of the subway underneath the tracks, you know, under your building. Just you don't even you don't even recognize how it affects just the energy field that you live in. So after a period of time, I went to school in a very rural area down in Southern Illinois in Carbondale to Carbondale, Illinois University. And the university was the biggest thing in the town. You know? When the kids were there, the population doubled. And it was still small town rural. 
Um, so I had that experience. I had city. I lived in suburbs because that's where I grew up. That's where I eventually bought a house in Florida. And having all of those experience, what I realized suited me best was the convenience of living in a city in that you can walk outside and you are somewhere already. You don't have to go somewhere or get somewhere. It's right there. But I wanted that on a much tinier scale. So the living style for me that I found after multiple, multiple decades on this planet that worked well is living right downtown in a small town, much like what you talked about. Um, and I fell in love with Southern Pines because it did have a number of things available that were important to me just as a person who has had other experiences in the world and is, has lived in a city and has been used to um, having, you know, 24-hour things available. Now we don't have that. But, you know, having a couple coffee shops that are independently owned, one of the things I loved about this area, too, is that there was were so many independently owned business, family-owned businesses. You know, I loved that downtown wasn't a bunch of block stores and that I felt that there was community, even though if my particular group and population were more hidden. Um, what I wasn't prepared for was quite the level of, you know, I, I lived in Florida, which we now all look at, you know, side eye and go, oh, look what's going on there. But I felt much more uh, presence of queer community, many more flags, you know, parades, major celebrations in where I lived. Now, where I lived was a little bit more, it was West Palm Beach, a little bit more affluent because working in the arts, you almost always are working in a community where there's some money. That's who can afford it, um, unfortunately. But, you know, that is sort of go hand in hand. So having that experience, I think, and then coming to a small town, I did it by choice. And I think that's the other difference. Um, I would hope that we would be able to provide resources and communities so that folks who like Vic grew up here, but then want to go off and have some experience want to come back here. You know, when, when the December event happened and so many people asked me the same question, why are you there? Why are you there? Why are you there? And I do sometimes ask myself, you know, especially when I'm walking downtown and I'm with my partner and I want to reach out to hold her hand. And I have that split second where I think, ah, is that okay? You know, I look around, who's around me? I don't want to have that moment. You know, I would prefer to live my life where it's a natural gesture and I don't think about, am I in a safe space where I can reach over and hold my partner's hand or give her a kiss in public? But I think about that because of where I live. So that's something that I think is the difficulty for people who want to stay in the community is literally safety. Sometimes we just don't feel safe because the voices that feel that our presence is somehow a threat to something that is valued in their life and they feel it so strongly that they have to become viciously and vitriolically vocal and sometimes physically active to work against our very existence. It does become exhausting. And I can understand why people, I mean, I can, positively, I can understand why some people would just not want to have to work that hard to live every day. I get it. That being said, I'm not going to go anywhere because this is where the work is. It's easy to be queer 
in Durham. It's easy to be queer in New York. It's easy to be queer in Chicago. It's easy to be queer in a number of places. It would be easier for me to move. And maybe someday I will, because maybe someday I'll need a rest and I'll get older and I'll go, I just want to walk down the street with my partner's hand and I want to see more, even more queer people. But right now, I really feel that the work is here. And when I went through my personal experience of understanding myself and coming out, one of the things that I said to a very dear friend of mine, just talking about stuff as we do, is if I, when I get through this process, I really would like to give back to my community. Now, as I've since said to a number of people that I tell the story to, I really thought that meant volunteering. I did not think that it would be in this capacity, but this is what the universe presented to me. And this was what the need was in the moment, both for myself and I feel for the community. So I am delighted and honored and quite humbled by having the opportunity to serve this community to the best of my ability and to expand the resources available in Moore County as much as possible, even against the tides that are present and they are strong and difficult, so that folks don't feel like this isn't a place they can stay. You know, I want people to invest in this community. I want them to buy houses. I want them to stay. I want them to raise their children. I want to create change from the ground up, and we can't do that if we all leave. But I, on the same breath, have to understand, if you grew up in this county and this is all you've known, I completely understand the desire to go away and have additional experiences, and I think everyone should, but I also encourage people to come back and create roots here because change doesn't happen without a force and we need the force. I love the idea of, of having roots and coming back to them. And I, I say it often in this newsletter and in this podcast in that I would not be in Southern Rural Studies had I not left and moved to New York. Um, I completely relate to the experience of growing up in a place and saying, well, this is all I've ever known. I moved around a lot as a kid, actually. I did have quite a, quite a bit of travel around, but I was always in the South and I just had this idea that there was a whole world out there and it wasn't here. And I don't think that I would do anything I do now. I don't think I ever would have come out as queer. I don't think I ever would have become an artist. I don't think I would have pursued anything with good folk or with, I'm a graduate student in folklore, had it not been for what I learned in other places. And so I absolutely think there is merit in going, but I also think there is just as much merit in coming back and in wanting to come back and wanting to feel connected to your home of, I'll talk to friends who are from places like San Francisco or LA or New York and it's, well, yeah, that's home and, and I'd love to, I, I want to go back there, right? They don't have the same kind of complicated relationship to home that I do and that so many people I talk to from this place do. And so I think with organizations like Sandhills Pride and what we hope to be doing with Good Folk as well, it's opening up the possibility for people to know that they're not tied to a place, they're not stuck but that a place will be home and, and it can be home and it can be safe there. And obviously there is still so, so much work to be done, but I think that feels like the great task right now is just opening up that possibility. And I think for me as well, it's why, you know, it's no coincidence that so many artists are also queer people and vice versa, because I think both of those pathways and identities offer up different ways to live life outside of the path that has been presented to you. And it is this, terrifying and incredibly freeing feeling to say, I'm actually going to choose to live my life in a way that I might not have seen before, that I get to write that story, right? I get to create that path. I quote Ocean Vuong on this all the time, but 
it is the best thing and hardest thing that has ever happened to me is to figure out what my life was going to look like as a queer artist in the South, because I did not know that. I did not see that. And it has enabled me to leave my life open to entirely new connections and possibilities in ways that I would have never thought were possible. It is also a terrifying leap to take. And so what I see is things like Sandhills Pride holding space for people to take that leap. And whether that keeps them here, brings them back, or moves them somewhere else, it's opening up that possibility first and foremost. Because right now, with media representation, we just don't see it. Where I think I get frustrated with it is then you still see these internal biases even within your region. Of I still see people in Durham and Raleigh and Asheville who are like, well, I'm happy here, but I would never live somewhere like Moore County, right? Like, and, and I can understand that from a safety perspective, but it also feels incredibly frustrating. As you said, this work is exhausting. It is so hard day in and day out to be doing this and to not even have the support from, quote unquote, your own community and the communities that are supposed to be close supporters to feel that judgment and that metronormativity, even in places an hour apart, um, can feel just so, so, so frustrating. And I don't know how to navigate that. I think it's it's something we're seeing a lot of right now in the South, where you have these cities that are are moving very left and very young, that are surrounded by traditionally and historically rural communities, often now, which are finding themselves at odds. And it's creating a new kind of tension and pressure within places. At the same time, you do also have these pathways of connection that are being built up. And I think, again, the Durham to Moore County pathway is a great example of there was so much support and organizing in Durham for everything that was happening in Moore County when these attacks occurred. But there are still these kind of underlying stereotypes. And I don't know how we get past those. I think we just age out. Honest to God. I mean, it's attrition. Change doesn't always happen by movement. Sometimes change just happens because time passes. And the people that hold ideals and I and, and concepts that are no longer sustainable or useful go by the wayside. Now, what we have to be careful about is what are they replaced by? So that's where the work, I think, has to happen, is that you create what's going to come next. We can't always change what is, is right in the moment. And one of the things that I think is the hardest thing for me to get through to a lot of the youth that I work with is that they really want everything to happen right this minute and God love them. I do too. But I've been on this planet for a long freaking time and that is just not what happens. So in the moment, we recently had the Moore County School Board uh, meeting where they passed the parents' bill of rights. And I don't really want to get into that as a policy. It's too much. But what I do want to address is the fact that many of our kids and parents came to the space prepared and to speak and out against it with some incredibly beautiful eloquent words. And we even had some parents that really are more conservative and sitting on the fence and not, not really on board completely with what may be going on with their kid or how they understand it, but loved their children and stood up for the fact that they had a right to be who they are. And the disappointment because the vote did not go as we knew it was you know the adults in the room kind of already had it figured out but it was important to have the presence and it was really important to me that the kids speak up for themselves because this is where advocacy activism and support starts i can speak as much as i can speak clearly i have lots of words <laughs> but they expect me i walk in a room i have the name tag people expect a certain 
message from me. And they usually get something very close to what they expect. In that room, though, the kids' voices and the parents' voices who are directly impacted by policies were more powerful. But they were so disappointed. And, and I was at another event down in Pembroke at UNC. We have a wonderful partnership with those folks. And I was there, so I couldn't get to the meeting, but I watched it on the live um, webcast that they do. And what I was interested in as I was watching is how many other people were watching. There were over 225 people at some point that were on the live feed. And what I know is that somewhere in that 225, just statistically, there was a kid who's queer and afraid or questioning and knew about this and was watching. And even though the vote did not go the way we had hoped it would to support our kids, I think it's incredibly powerful that someone out there in the world who needed to hear that messaging from those kids got it that night. And what I try to tell our kids is we aren't always given the opportunity to see the results of our efforts. We don't always get to see the end result of the work we do now or the impact that the work we have or that we're doing will have. And, you know, as an older person, I know I'm not going to see the results of a lot of my work. It's just going to take longer than I'm going to be on the planet, likely. But I think it's an important message that people understand we don't, even if we don't get to see the results, that work is no less important. And I think that's really helps put the work into perspective because, as we said, it's a lot of work. It's exhausting, creating support systems, finding support system, finding practitioners for mental health that are familiar with dealing with trans individuals and LGBTQ kids is a lot and it takes time and I don't, we don't always get to see the results and I want to just make it clear that that doesn't mean the work's not important. We want instantaneous results all the time. I want everything to happen yesterday, right away. You know, I want to snap, snap, snap and things are done. I approach most of my events that way to the maddening insanity of my poor volunteers sometimes. But um, I think it's really important to be able to keep perspective that we remember the work is everywhere. We are everywhere. And, you know, New York City is in New York State, but there's also a lot of really red pockets in New York State. There's a lot of kids that are living out on farms in New York State who are experience the same thing as we are in a different way. You know, Chicago's three hours away or four hours away from where I went to school and where I went to school was coal mining area and was very rural, and most kids didn't go to college. So they didn't have a way. But there were still a lot of queer folks around, you know? So I, I, the, the metro thing, yeah, I mean, there's this concept, although I think it's really lessening. I think more and more work is being done by sociologists and leaders in the field of queer studies um, that's being based in the South and being based in rural communities, and both research and writing. So I see that expanding more and more and more representation being created so that more people are staying or coming back and finding that space because not everybody, you're right, not everybody wants to be in a city. And we are everywhere, despite what some people would like to think. 
It was actually, I wrote a piece for Long Reads, I guess last summer, and that was the title of it was We Are Everywhere. Um, and it was about queer communities in the South. So I completely agree. When you think about your vision that you have for this place, because it is so much, so much of organizing work, especially in rural and Southern communities right now, is about just planting the seeds. But when you think about what you want those seeds to grow into, whether it's 50 years down the line or 100 years down the line or, or 10 years down the line, what does that look like for you? A center. I want a center. It's so much work to find safe spaces. And I love, do not get me wrong, we have built such wonderful, wonderful community relationships with various different venues and sponsors and people and places that we go. And because we don't have a center, it has forced us to be creative in our programming and who we partner with and really forced us to reach out to places that I might not have thought of to get support. That being said, how cool would it be if our kids could come to a place that they decorate themselves? You know, if they could come to a space and just drop in, how cool would it be if we could just not worry about where we were going to have a party, but just have a party, you know, or have a free little library with queer books in it for everybody. Those are the things that I would like to see. Just more access, more representation, more resources available, just easier. You know, can we just make life easier for people? We seem to spend so much frickin' time making life harder for ourselves and for people around us. Can we just simplify? Can we just be kind and create space? And so my vision, yeah, I would love to have a center, you know, safe space where we could have a pride wardrobe and our trans and non-binary friends could come in and just take whatever clothes they need to feel themselves without having to worry about changing rooms and going into stores and all of that trauma that centers around that. You know, could we, could we just have a space where we could have, you know, a coloring table and our kids could come in and just chill after the stresses of being in high school and middle school and where we wouldn't have to constantly be navigating where can we be safe and how much can we afford and what can we do within the means that we have. So my long-range plan, I would love to have a Sandhills Pride Center. I don't know where, but, you know, a place that we can have office, we could have a meeting space, we could do things in our own space and, and create yet one more really big safe space that would be the foundation of all the other safe spaces we can create. And it feels really important here to mention the importance of partnerships with this, of both now and if you have a space, I think the work you all are doing is such a great example of like why we need collaboration and how we build community through that. Of I have, I've been to some Sandhills Pride events at different local businesses and I, I hear a lot more through Vic, through the grapevine of what's going on these days. And it is seeing communities, what is so cool to me about it is seeing communities come together in support of each other and Absolutely. You know, local businesses who supported the everything happening with the drag shows at the sunrise and, and came together through that. And and that is how you make a movement, right? That is how you plant those seeds is it's not just one place doing everything, but it is slowly shifting an entire community and rallying a community together around something. I think the important difference is building something from the ground up, you know, like building a strong foundation. So partnership is, is vital. I mean, I, I, it's like I said, I come from a, a collaborative 
background of working in the theater arts. And the theater that I did was predominantly, not me, but you know, the organizations I worked with were all new theater. So there is nothing more collaborative than creating a new play or creating a new piece of art. You know, We can put on the old chestnuts so we know how to do that, but really have to get creative when you do something new. And you have to rely on partnership and supporting each other. So one of the first things that I wanted to do when I came here was to start creating a broad base because it needs to be the organization, not me, that makes it happen. I mean, right now I move the parts and I move the machine forward and I make decisions, but the organization needs to be built in such a way that it has strong community foundational support and partnerships and people who are willing to give the money because as much as we don't want to talk about it, it takes money to do this work. And I'm going to put it right out there. If y'all like the work we're doing, give us the money, please, please. It really does take money to do the work. I would love to do all of that I do for free, but just like everybody else, I have to pay my rent too. And they get fussy if I don't. So I, I try to emphasize, you know, I understand that we can't, we can't always provide everything for everybody. It is my goal to have something for everybody, but sometimes we have to charge for something because we have to meet a budget or we have to um, provide services that cost money or go into spaces that cost us money. So when people come forth and say, here, this is what I have and I can give you some of it to support your work, that moves us closer to be able, being able to do more and potentially to be able to provide more events for no cost so that people don't have to have a means by which so that they can come. You know, I would have loved to have made Pride Fest absolutely free this year. We couldn't. We literally couldn't afford to do that because we still have to keep our doors open. And that was a fundraiser. Now, my goal for next year, those of you who are listening, is to get more sponsorship and to have more vendors so that but that that supports the event and therefore the public can come for free. And that's ultimately the goal that we try to do. That's why we create partnerships because we don't want it to be difficult for our community to come together. It's hard enough. Everyone's life is hard enough. Wherever we can make it easier, simpler, safer, more embracing, more friendly, just more fun, that's what we try to do. So um, Sanchez Pride is a 501c nonprofit and we are supported by the public. So if you have means and you think our work is worthwhile, please do support it. You know, we have a website and I don't like to do hard sale. I think people need to give their money where they feel it's important. But I do have to say this work doesn't happen by magic or by smoke and mirrors. It's hard work, it's volunteers, and it's the support, financial and time and emotional of the community. You segued really nicely into my next question for you, which is for anyone who wants to get involved, whether it's through sponsorship, which is always amazing, volunteering, if you can't financially donate right now, you know, volunteering is a great way to get started. Um, or even just to get more information, where can people find you and learn more about Sand Hills Pride? Well, we have two, many sources. We have social media. Uh, we do Facebook and Instagram predominantly. Those are mostly uh, information about our events, although we will also occasionally have a, like a political thing that's going on. We'll have calls to action information. A lot recently has been going out regarding our trans population and our kids especially and what all of these new bills mean and how, our, how to navigate it and how to find the resources needed. So that's a whole other arm. 
But um, contact at sandhillspride.org gets you to the right people. Um, we just ask that, you know, you give us a minute to get back to you because the right people is basically me. And so uh, I, I, I there's almost always at least 100 emails in my inbox. I do go through them every single day. But um, please reach out nonetheless because we are here to support. I, I literally do get requests, everything from how can I find a safe and affirming barber to, you know, I need trans affirming care for my kid to, I need a mental health therapist who can take Medicaid. So it doesn't matter what your need is. If you need something from Sandhills Pride as the advocacy and support group for the LGBT community, whether you are part of that community or an ally or a parent or a therapist or anybody that's interested, just reach out to contact at sandhillspride.org. Please put in the subject line what you're talking about so that I can find it again. Um, and I will respond at the earliest possible opportunity. If you would like to donate, you go to our website, sandhillspride.org. At the upper right corner, there's a donate button. There's also a sign up button where you can sign up for our email newsletter. And that will get you information direct from my handy little desk about things that are going on. We do updates about events. We do partnerships with First Friday. We're all going to go down and see Danger Muffin this weekend. So if anybody's in town, stop by and see us under the big tree. Um, but that's how you can get in touch. And as far as volunteering, we often need volunteers. The part of the difficulty, and I have to say this out loud because sometimes people want to volunteer and I literally in that moment don't have something to give them. And I don't want people to be discouraged if the request for volunteering is not immediately met with a task that is needed to be done. Do not fear. There are many things that have to happen when we do these larger events like Pride Fest or our other events and we're starting to build our committees. We want to do a development committee. We will have tons of opportunities, but you may not have something straight away. Um, we always need administrative help. I always need people who can, you know, I work out of my home, so I have to vet anybody who you know comes and works with me. But I did have the opportunity to have an amazing intern this summer. And just having administrative assistance was so helpful so that I could focus on the larger pictures and the fundraising pieces and those components instead of trying to file away pieces of paper. So if people have skills that they would like to share, please reach out. And I'm always reachable at contact at santospride.org. There's lots of ways to support, so get on it. And Lauren, I have one last question for you, which is how we end all of our podcasts. And I'm going to open it up to you to take it however you would like. Um, thank you so much for being here. It has been such a joy and pleasure to talk to you. And we will share links to everything and, and stay tuned on your work and everything we can do with Sandhills Pride to support because I really do think what you'll do is amazing. But the last question I have for you is what do you believe in? I don't think there can possibly be one answer, but I'm going to go with top ahead. I believe that there's incredible opportunity, wonder, and joy in the world and that each and every person regardless of how they are born or how they understand themselves should have access equally to that joy and that wonder and that opportunity and it is my personal mission to do everything i can in the small and large ways that i can to give that self that both to myself and to the people around me to the best of my ability 
I think that's well said. All it is is making more spaces for joy. And thank you for all the work you do with that. And thank you for being here and joining us. To all of our listeners, wherever you are in the world, have a good day, good night, be good, stay good. 